Okay, this is the talk on Wednesday, July the 4th in Brussels, and the subject is the evolution of consciousness. And it is actually quite a, a vast, vast subject. And it's not just involving the scientific concept of, uh, of evolution, which involves you know, the, the Darwinian theory of the evolution of the fittest, of the epochs of evolution on this planet from the early stages to the Cambrian to the pre-Cambrian, before that to the, and, you know, all those tertiary Jurassic, the epoch of the dinosaurs and those particular periods of time. This is the way that scientists think of evolution and that eventually they, they talk about the coming of the ape-man and out of the apes and ape-man comes human beings. And this particular course of evolution has its, has its validity, it has its, its rightful place. It's not exactly the way they think because they've not found any missing links between any of the species of life. It's closer to what uh, in scientific theories is called catastrophism. And um, one of the reasons uh, why in America, for instance, they allow creationism, the, the Bible's teachings on um, how life came into being in some schools, is because that theory is just as scientific as the scientific theories because there's not a shred of proof, and the, the Christians have proven that, that what the scientists say is evolution based on Darwinian theory. There's not one shred of proof that that is exactly correct. And therefore, the Christians say that their concept of things suddenly happening to the agent of God is just as scientific, just as correct, because... There's nothing in geological evidence, not in any of the fossils, can the scientists actually find the missing links between any species. So it's a, it's a big problem for them. But for the, the creationists, you know, they say, OK, the, the world started in you know, 4004 BC or something like that, and that's wrong too. It's obviously the world's been around for much longer than that. Where we, we who are esotericists, we think differently. We're thinking in terms of forms appearing uh, in relationship to uh, the different planes of perception. So that there's more than just human beings on this planet. There's also the Deva Kingdom, you know, the Angelic Kingdom, which we've discussed before, and um, the, the hierarchy of light. And that the human evolution... It's, it's not just purely mechanical. It's not just purely uh, got to do with evolution out of apes. We're thinking, and our form of evolution, what we're looking at, is the appearance of the human soul and how that comes into existence and then the difference between a human being and an animal kingdom is the fact that we have souls and they do not. So it's this is also quite a, quite a vast period. Now, the animal form, the ape form, Neanderthal man, sort of, you know, Java man, sort of, you know, all these um, earlier forms of 
human units that were quite primitive that all of you know something about. Uh, that's, that was the way that the divas, the angelic kingdom, uh, worked with the animal kingdom to produce a form that the soul that was manifesting on inner realms could incarnate through. So the uh, physical scientific um, process of the appearance of a form with five fingers and you know standing upright was important. And it evolved out of the animal kingdom, but that's not what the human unit really is. We actually also, the soul that was created or, or formed on the mental plane. And the soul then attached itself at a, a certain time with the animal forms aspiring up to the domain of mind and there's a link formed. And this particular process where the two interrelate is called individualization in our philosophy. This particular process of the evolution of life on a planet such as the Earth is only a small portion of evolution as I, for instance, would look at it. I have to think in terms of evolutions of solar systems and our present solar system is the second of a middle solar system out of three. So when I have to trace back karma, sometimes I actually have to go to the solar system before the present one. And then the solar evolution on this present one, and then we have to go to the future, to where we're all evolving towards. And so we think in terms of three solar systems. And then, if one's looking properly in terms of cosmic evolution, then you're saying, well, the sun or our solar system is part of a grouping, a small constellations of suns. Like if you look up in the night sky, you see the stars, and you, you can know that they map the stars and they've given them constellations. Therefore, you have the, the seven rishis of the great bear, um, Cassiopeia, Orion, and Orion's a beautiful constellation with four stars and the three central stars in the middle. So these are constellations. And our sun is part of such a constellation and it's evolving with them, what we call in our philosophy the seven brothers or the seven sons. And then they are part of a greater being like a human unit is with all our chakras of which all of those stars that you see, all the constellations in the night sky, is one great being. And those stars are but chakras. And that one in DK's books, he says, the one about whom naught can be said. Um, the one in whom we live and breathe and have our being. So the, the whole evolution of such a being within cosmos is all part of this philosophy, this theory of evolution. And then, of course, we go through the evolution of such things as, as a galaxy and a galaxy within a cosmos. We don't look at what the scientists think of in terms of the Big Bang theory, uh, because we're looking, and even the Big Bang theory is sort of part of our philosophy from one point of view, because we're looking at reincarnation. Everything reincarnates. Everything is reborn and everything is taking that one step onwards in evolution. 
And so when you're looking at what we call a solo logos, logos is the Greek term for the, the, the principle that is God that incarnates through a form. And this particular form, in this case, is a solar system. And everything within the solar system, which includes our Earth, the Moon, all the planets, is part of the body of manifestation of such a being. So the planets that we see, or that we know about, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, these planets are also like the Earth, evolving. And they all have life. You know, though if you look through a telescope on, at, say, Venus and the temperature of Venus may be 300 degrees or 400 degrees Celsius on the surface, you know, so it's exceedingly hot. And life as we know it doesn't exist there. But the astral body exists there, the mental body. So there's astral and mental plane beings that are evolving. And most of these planets also, like Mars and Venus, for instance, they all had, at one stage, human life as we know it. We just have to go further back in time, when the solar system was younger, when the sun wasn't, for instance, emitting so much light in the case of Venus. And so it was cooler. So this particular process of how the Earth itself evolves within the context of its brothers and sisters. If you can think of every one of those planets as either male or female incarnations of Logi, of gods, and um, the Earth itself, the the great entity that, that's incarnated in this Earth is really a feminine form. It's a feminine incarnation because you can see the waters of this Earth and the greenery, this is a woman's quality. When you compare it to Mars, Mars the god of war, it's masculine. It's the desert, it's red. It has these, these qualities. Now the, the, the planet Mars, for instance, is the closest to the Earth. They're evolutionary um, cycles. And there is quite a lot of traces of life on this Mars still. Um, it's much more life there than, than you imagine. So later on, I'll give you a website. Um, it's called marsanomaly.com. And you can look at some of this evidence of life that's presently on Mars. But when you go some millions of years ago, there was water on Mars, a lot of water. And what scientists have discovered now on Mars is the valleys of lots of rivers and you know, where water was. It's all still there. It's just in the, the soil and under the soil and in the polar caps and things like that. So Mars, at that stage, we're going back some millions of years, had human life, and it still does. It's, it's quite interesting when you, when you look at these photos. The other thing is the moon. Our moon is much larger. It's what we call an anomaly. Scientists can't properly explain why the moon is so large relative to the size of the Earth. It should not be. One reason is because the moon itself is what we call in our philosophy and the secret doctrine um, the mother of the Earth. At one stage, the Earth is the child. 
and the moon was larger and it had life. It had human life on it, what we call moon change humanity. And um, this particular um, planetary experiment did not succeed and the moon it died. It, it, its um, outer form was shattered and all the life that was on the moon came to the earth. So the earth is its child. Uh, and it's, it's a long story. I'm actually, one of my manuscripts, which is based on the, the secret doctrine, I'm present, I have something like 700 pages of manuscript called the Numerological and Astrological Key to the Secret Doctrine. And it goes into all of this history that's before the earth, including the earth, and then the way that the human and the angelic kingdom evolved together from all of these other planetary changes, we call it, and schemes, through to the earth, and then from the earth to the next globe that's forming, and then to the ending of the solar system and the formation of the new solar system. So when we look at evolution, we're looking at the evolution of many levels of human units um, that have evolved out of an animal kingdom. In this solar system, there's actually five dreams of human lives that are evolving, that have evolved or will evolve out of animal kingdoms. The first one happened on the planet Venus. And then the next planet that had human life that came out of an animal kingdom was Mars. After Mars it was Moon, and then from the Moon it's moved to the Earth. And from the Earth there will be one more globe where our present animals will become human. Those of you that have had dogs and cats and horses and have really loved them, what you're actually doing is by, through their close interrelationship with you, is preparing them to become a human being. They will not become a human being on this planet. They will become a human being on the new planet. And many of you that are disciples now, that are spiritually involved, will become the kingdom of God to help that animal kingdom, when it's formed, to evolve through all the stages from very primitive animal man stage through the Atlantean, what we call the watery stage of uh, development of emotions to the present Aryan cycle where the human kingdom is developing the mind to the new age where we develop the heart, the compassion, the compassionate consciousness and wisdom and then the final race where we end up the cycle of evolution upon this planet and people leave in great numbers in UFOs, in spaceships, to travel to the stars. And it will not be in bodies as we have now because we'll start to transcend the types of forms. You see, therefore, the reason why our solar system comes into being is so that substance, basic substance, what I call cosmic dust, is encapsulated by the mind of a Logos. The Divas work with it and it precipitates onto the physical plane and everything that exists, this mineral kingdom that we walk on, the water, the air we breathe, it's all sentient. The sentient means it's inherently mind. 
Everything is alive. There's nothing that is really dead. The rocks themselves have a form of very, very slow intelligence. It's actually crystallized from the domain of the mind, of the mental plane. And it's come down from the mental plane. And it's worked with by the angelic kingdom who are units of mind. Remember we talked about the angelic kingdom before, the divas. And um, I was basically pointing out that each one of them are units of intelligence. That's the way I described them. Even the little ones, the little brownies, the fairies, the, the, the pixies, all the elementals, the derives, the tree spirits, all the way up to the great angels and archangels, they all are intelligent life. Intelligence is their key. And the little ones, they will look after whatever it is, the flower, and their, their mind is totally involved in helping that flower. And they embody the flower. But they also embody the mineral kingdom. Um, they're the soul of the mineral kingdom. So everything is evolving towards the man state, the human state. The mineral kingdom evolved to become plants by the plants putting their roots into the soil and taking the soil, the nutrients from the soil, into their bodies and making it plant life. And so eventually the mineral kingdom becomes plant-like. And uh, there's an intermediate stage. So we go from the mineral through this transmutation and alchemical process that happens within the plant till eventually it becomes plant-like. But it's the diva kingdom, the angelic kingdom, that is helping everything move upwards. Now, the plants evolve by being eaten by animals. We are also animals. We eat the plants in our forms, in our animal bodies, and digest them. And so as we digest them, we're giving them animal qualities. They start to embody animal types of sentience, is the word. You know, we can't use it human consciousness, but sentience means it responds to, to stimuli. There are certain types of plants, for instance, like mimosa, that when you touch it, they respond, they curl up. You know, you probably know these plants. You, know, you touch them and suddenly they, they, they curl up. There's other plants, like the Albany pitcher plant and the, the honeydew, that actually catch insects. And they eat the insects. And they're very close to being animals because they're already developing a nervous system. The difference between a plant and an animal is basically the animals have a nervous system. And the plants themselves, they attach to the soil and they grow up towards light. And they expand slowly, horizontally through their seeds. Whereas the animals are mobile. They can move and um, they respond to the concept of pain and things like that. So the plants evolve by being digested by the animal kingdom and be given animal-like qualities simply through that digestive process. Therefore, the way of evolution for the plant kingdom is to sacrifice themselves to the animal. And this is the reason why the more spiritual beings become vegetarian because that is the, the plants are made to evolve this way. The animals are not. The 
other things I'm pointing out is that everything is inherently intelligent. Even the mineral kingdoms, the, the rocks you work on, they're actually a form, a very, very low form, a slow form of intelligent life. It's concretized mind. That's the best way I can describe it. And it's the whole process of evolution is worked out by the angelic kingdom, by the divas. Now, remember I pointed out to you a bit earlier that with um, orthodox science they have this Darwinian theory. Now, Darwinian theory is the evolution of the fittest um, by means of, uh, or natural selection by means of evolution of the fittest. And they say through competition, because of competition and uh, beings have to compete against the food that they need to eat or living space and things like that, they eventually, only the, the strongest and the most competitive will survive and eventually there'll be the evolution of genes or genetics that will push the animal life or the plant life to higher and higher, more advanced states. But this is not supported in any way by the fossil evidence by geology, by any of those sciences that's not this biology. The fact is that everything, every life form, suddenly appears out of nowhere completely in this new form. We have, for instance, the Cambridge explosion about 500 million years ago when every form of life that is now known to science, suddenly appeared within a very short period of time, apparently out of nowhere. Right. And the reason why we have these sudden appearances of life forms, not out of the evolution of the fittest, though that does help a little bit, is because it's the divas that are creating these new forms. So suddenly you get the appearance of, say, a horse. Now, most of you, some of you may have seen the, the pictures of the, you know, and the Darwinians say, OK, now here we are. We, we start off with this little horse-like animal that's about you know, two feet high. And this is the progenitor of the modern horse. And they give you all these bones and they put it neatly together. But what they don't tell you is that, that many of these so-called succession from this little animal that had four feet and was only a couple of feet high to this huge horse that, that's a, a Clydesdale horse or a racehorse nowadays, what they don't tell you is that these fossils, many of them overlapped. In other words, they lived together. But this is impossible because one was supposed to evolve out of the other. So you understand, but they actually overlapped. And sometimes a form of the horse was actually evolving before a later form of the horse, but then they unmangled that out and then put it in a straight line and say there's a development, but it's not. They exist simultaneously because they all appear according to a different set of laws than what the scientists are looking at. Because from the scientific point of view, it's all dice. It's all basically, the whole universe comes out of this row of chance. Whereas, in reality, evolution is governed by intelligence. It's governed by enlightened beings. As you evolve, 
as you develop your spiritual life and you learn more and more about this and you, for instance, see the auras and, and begin to work with your soul, which is what the meditation is about, is to bring in the consciousness of the soul and eventually you merge with the soul and you become then enlightened beings. Eventually you become a Buddha or Christ and you're ready to travel out in the, into the cosmos as a great enlightened being. Now, what you will learn from then onwards, as you go to the various schools of learning in, in the stars, in the cosmos, is how to become a Logos, how to become a God, how to manifest a body of manifestation like the planet Earth. And within that body of manifestation will come the streams of evolving life that you will, as a, as a Logos, help to evolve to enlightenment from the mineral stage onwards. So it's all part of a, of a beautiful process that, that continues going. And there's the two streams of life on any planet. One is the diva, which is innately intelligent, and they are the lords of nature. They produce the karma and the interrelationship of all the forms. They, they work out all the diversity of the trees and the flowers and the birds and the bees and the dinosaurs and that whole sequence is worked out by them so that eventually human forms are produced. And then from the human forms then we evolve to superhuman states, superhuman consciousness. And you get all of these superhuman powers that are attributed to Jesus, for instance, he could heal the sick and so forth. And to the Buddha, and this is all explained in, in the yoga texts of how to obtain these types of powers in, in our teachings as well. So this process, you can see, is what evolution is all about. It's not chance, it's not sort of some blind survival of the fittest law, but it actually is planned every step of the way. Everything is planned. And now I've mentioned before that the plant kingdom is digested by the animal kingdom and thereby they learn to develop animal traits. At the same time, there is the energy field of the animal consciousness that also precipitates into the plant kingdom and helps to pull them into animal sentiency. Now, the animals, uh, as you all know, that, that, that you've seen the scientific story of evolution from the life coming out of these oceans and from, the, from that life to the oceans, you go from the amphibian stage to the dinosaur stage and, and then reptiles and eventually mammals appear, such as the horse and uh, all the warm-blooded animals. And then from that comes human beings out of the... What, what they call anthropoid apes. That's their, their thing. And what I'm sort of saying is it all happens that way because the divas direct it that way because the, all those many, many experiments have to be made and everything has to be developed that will allow a very, very uh, sophisticated body to appear that will allow consciousness, the human brain and the mechanism of intelligence to be wielded by a form, an animal form. 
And so this is a, a the process of evolution. This is what the whole evolving process is to produce. And then we then evolve higher and higher states of consciousness until we evolve out of needing to incarnate in such a form as this. From our spiritual perspective, the, the human form and the human life itself is just the very beginning of cosmic evolution. What you are evolving into, every one of you, is to become a god. Gods, logi, the planetary logi. Or to uh, manifest as, as great cosmic beings associated with that. And as the Buddhists say, every human being uh, has got the Tathagatagaba within them, the, the Buddha womb. They ought to become Buddhas eventually. And a Buddha is a perfected human being. One that has so advanced so much that there's nothing within a world sphere such as the earth that can keep him there anymore. There's nothing they can learn from being incarnate in such a form. And they must leave. And this is what the whole story of the Buddha is about. And his Paranirvana. And so he never will incarnate again on this earth. It's impossible for him. All the bridges have been cut. He's presently on, on a star system and you know, what we in our philosophy, in our mind meditations is, is the, the um, heart of the um, star constellation Leo and Regulus and that's where he is presently learning his next step onwards. So everything is evolving together and this is one of the beautiful things about evolution. So everything that we teach you, everything that I'm trying to teach you here is to teach you how to become a Buddha, how to finally leave the cycle of rebirth so that you no longer need to incarnate in this planet of woe, all the suffering that's around. This is just a nursery, or the um, Sanskrit term is Jivan Mukta, the um, enlightened souls. So you begin to understand that you're much more then what you, you know, if you identify with this form, you are mistaken because this is not the human being. This is borrowed from the angelic kingdom and it's animal. What is the human is what is incarnating into it and it's the soul. And the soul does not think like you think because one life, it'll incarnate as a male, another life will incarnate as a woman, uh, another life, it may be in India, another future life, it may be in China. Uh, it's, it's immaterial uh, how it incarnates from its point of view, except that every life is to gain further experience so that the process, everything to do with life is mastered, is totally controlled, and wisdom is gained. The difference between the human and the diva is that we, that's the soul, the human soul, which is a, a lotus, and it exists on the abstract level of the mind. Oh, there's a tiny little picture on page 823 of this book of cosmic fire, and there's the, the soul there. Um, there's the, the, the way that the human soul actually looks, and you can see it's a flower. It's a form of a chakra. 
and uh, it's got its own mechanism of, of expansion and development of consciousness. In Australia, I spent something like seven years working on the detail of this, and I have an eight-foot diagram. So eight foot is, uh, you know, if you can imagine what a foot is, um, about something like two metres high of this in great detail with everything associated with it. And that was the smallest size I could make it in order to get the, the detail I needed in of what, this is page 823 of, of Treatise on Cosmic Fire, of what, um, what this is, uh, because there's much more chakras and things and flowers. And it's it's quite, quite very, very beautiful to, to perceive. And the, uh, oh yeah, the soul itself, it's, it's attached to your head, head lotus. There's, there's two strands that come in. One strand of life goes to your heart, right? And this is called the sutatma. And there's another strand that is anchored to your head, the very, very centre of the thousand-petal lotus, of the head lotus. So there's, there's two strands that come in. Now, the soul itself is not the, the true reality of what a human being is. We are cosmic. There's a, a song that, that I really love, you know, and it says, We are stardust by Johnny Mitchell. You're golden, you know. And um, what you really are is monad. It's the spirit. So a human is spirit, soul, personality. And the monad, the spiritual aspect, the, the godlike aspect of you, cannot descend any lower than the second plane of perception, which is what we call Anapadaka of the seven planes. Now I know this is a bit technical, but you'll learn all of the the meaning behind this as you study the the, the, the esoteric doctrine. Right? So the monad itself is a cosmic being. It travels through cosmos. And the experience of the soul, which is its incarnation, on this earth is only a small portion of its total evolutionary journey. So what you're working upon is to die to your brain consciousness or your personality consciousness of this life so that you can merge with the consciousness of the soul. The soul itself is a, a sphere of mind within an ocean of mind and it's soul consciousness. Soul consciousness means it's collective. It's one all souls are one soul or have one type of mind. But that in itself is but an incarnation or the form that the monad, the spirit, uses. So your spirit, soul, body, that uses as part of its process so that it gains more wisdom in order to become eventually a star in the night sky. It's the, the best I can, can describe it for you. So if you look at all of those stars out there and the millions, the billions that are part of a galaxy, just think, every one of them was once like you are now, evolving through an earth, and they're now radiant beings of light. And they have bodies of manifestation, with a large number of human units and diva units, angels, archangels, 
Achaisos, Cerebrum, Cerebrum, Seraphim, all of these beings within their bodies. And they're all evolving through them. A star, a sun, literally is a darkness eater. It consumes the darkness of space, the raw material, the cosmic dust of space, and converts it into mind, into a human unit. We human beings in our esoteric philosophy is called the manas of putra. This is the Sanskrit term. Manas means mind, and putra means the vehicle of mind. We are vehicles of mind that evolve Eventually, cosmic mind, the mind of God. So it's this whole process of evolving to your little minds that you have now, your intellects, is but a tiny little speck of dust compared to the mind of a Logos that embodies a whole solar system or a constellation of suns or galaxy. So you understand just how vast your evolution is. And what you identify with yourself as yourself is really what we call the great illusion. It's an illusional form. It appears and disappears, appears and disappears, appears and disappears. And all the time you're going through the stages of being born as a child, you grow up, you learn something more, um, you react to life in one way or the other, and then you die. But the whole purpose of it is to develop, to expand your love, to make you consciousness inclusive of everything around you, and to develop wisdom. The wisdom is the gain of what the monad gets. Um, what wisdom really means is that it has gained the experience of everything that incarnation for millions of years in an earth system such as this can give it. It has then mastered all aspects of embodied form. It knows atomic life. It knows how to build the atoms into forms and how to collect the forms through the mineral, plant, animal and human stages onwards so that later on it can do the same on a vast scale as the logos of a planet and then later on a solar system. So you can understand that you, each one of you, are evolving to become God. God for millions of human units. And as you work upon yourself, you develop your meditation mind, you develop this esoteric doctrine, you awaken your love for other people, for plants, for animals, for everything. You eventually just serve, you give to everything around you. This law of group service, the law of sacrifice, the law of expansive response the law of magnetic impulse. I can go into many of these group laws that govern you as you become more expanded. And as you go through this evolutionary process from becoming a human being to a superhuman, you get away from the concept of being separate. There's no longer I, me, you, 
oh, this is mine, that is yours. It's group consciousness. Everything is evolving as one. There's no separation. And the way to actually understand that is to actually understand the way your body works. You understand that your body is working and functioning together. Your lungs must function in coordination with your heart as the heart is beating. The blood must pour through to feed your stomach um, and your brain. The brain is functioning so that your eyes can see. Uh, everything has to be working together. Every organ must be working harmoniously together. Nothing separate. Everything is working as a unit. If there's anything working separately to that unit, then you get sickness and disease, you get cancers and tuberculosis and all of those things that none of you'd like. So the same is for humanity. They have to learn to cooperate and share, to give to each other. They have to learn to become group conscious. This is what the New Age is all about. This world out here of selfish living, of people making money so they can build their own little homes and units and, you know, whatever it is, you know, the, the bankers and the, the super rich people that only want to take, 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 take and give nothing back. This is sickness and disease. These are the forces that make the sickness and disease on our planet that produce the wars and the karma of these selfish individuals produces the famines, the pestilence, the, the mass diseases, the epidemics that people suffer by. They have to learn to give to each other, to share, to cooperate, not compete, but to cooperate. See, it's the very opposite of what our societies tell us. Our societies tell us to compete, to take from everyone else, to, to be selfish and separative and consume, 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 but for yourself, for yourself or for your individual family. But that is not the way of evolution. That is the way of sickness, disease and death. And so human beings suffer individually, within their family and within a society, within Nations and international interrelationships suffer because of the sickness and disease that is created by this competitive, selfish, separative state of mind of humans. And so the way of evolution is to learn how to help the other person, how to help nature, to share your resources, to think together to solve the problems of the planet, to make life easier for everyone. You have to think of perfect health, the perfect health of a society. And the perfect health of a society is what makes a human body healthy. So every organ is working together, the lungs, the heart, the stomach, and your brain is telling you, if you eat this, it will make you sick. If you eat that, it will make you healthy. Of course, there's lots of information out there confusing you as to what to eat or what to do. But this is what you're learning, how to become more and more wise. 
how to react to the things that make your body sick, how to produce ill health. You don't want diseases of mind happening either. You understand that this is the path of evolution, therefore, how to produce a healthy society, how to produce a healthy group. We help each other, and as we help each other, we help the universe. And the only way to become an enlightened being, the only way to evolve out of this human state, this world of misery and suffering, is to learn to give and to learn to share, to develop compassion. And all beings that are evolving to the Christ state and beyond, that is their way of evolution. That is the way of evolution of hierarchy. Every member of the hierarchy of light, which is a, the, a later talk I'm giving, two talks from now, their only help, there is nothing else in their consciousness, in their awareness. They become great beings, masters of wisdom, because of the capacity to help others. But it's based on wisdom. It's not stupidly sacrificial help who you're trying to help, you're not going to help them. So the wisdom is the key thing. So you see this law of love. The heart pumps out approximately every minute 72 beats per second. Thump, 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 thump. And it keeps you alive. And it's that love of pouring the blood through every cell of the body to feed the cells with the vitality that they need, to have the protection within the bloodstream, to ward off the diseases, the germs. So you've got the leukocytes, the white blood corpuscles that eat up the germs that are in the blood or the invaders. Um, and then there's the hormones that circulating in your body that um, give you a response to fear and make you feel good and all of these um, growth factors. So all of these types of things are pumped into the bloodstream and you have to understand that each one of you have to develop this similar heart function for the society that you're in. You move away from arenas of distress and you put yourself in a position where you can help more and more. And that's the reason why you're learning this teaching. It's, you know, I'm giving you these teachings um, not because it's making me feel good, I'm giving you these teachings because I'm trying to help you to help others around you, to educate the young, for instance, specifically in this particular case, how to think rightly, how to be wise, for them to understand what their life is really about. And the life is not just to produce more material goods, to produce a bigger castle around them, to produce a few more offspring. That's not what life is for. What's the good of all the things that you, you know, build around yourself, all that work that you do in order to have more and more material things, a better car? You know, you're moving from the car you've got to maybe a Mercedes-Benz and that's not good enough, you want a Alfa Romeo and that's not good enough, you want a, you know, the house that you're in is not good enough, you've got to have a bigger house and a bigger house. And you know, This is the way people think. And this is at the expense of the welfare of every member of society and of nature. It's the opposite of the way we should be.
right? And the children need to be taught this, right? How not to be selfish, how to share, how to work for their society. This is all part of the law of evolution. The law of evolution is group law. It's the same laws that governs your body, your physiology. And we have a phrase in our philosophy, in the occult philosophy, and it's as above, so it is below. That which is within is also without. And this is what we use. And this is a law of the universe. And the scientists use it the same. They study the atoms and the atomic world and all the energies that make up the atomic world and from that they can deduce the laws that make up the cosmos. Or they look at the laws that make up the cosmos and then apply it to the atomic world. So you understand it's as above so below. That which is within is also without. So the study of the human body, the human mind, and the way it is organised is a study of the cosmos. But we who are esotericists, we're not just looking at the cells of the body and the heart and the lungs and all of those sorts of things. We're also looking at the energy fields and the way that the energy fields are interrelated. And the way that the energy fields are interrelated makes then, the, as I pointed out before, the way that the chakras are formed, the flowers. So the chakras then direct the energy fields in accordance to the consciousness that you have developed from past lives and that you're carrying forward into this life. The consciousness is, each chakra is a custodian of certain aspects of consciousness. They hold the consciousness. The consciousness of your emotions is in the solar plexus center. The consciousness of, of strong desire is in the sacral center. Uh, the consciousness of spaciousness and of, of unity and, and what we call love, which is to unite all into selflessness, is in the heart. The throat um, deals with the energy of fire, with intelligence itself. The major chakras and all the minor chakras are all units of consciousness. And later on, you will see that the whole universe is arranged according to the dynamics of chakras unfolding. When I look at the night sky, I'm not looking so much at stars, I'm looking at chakras. So when I look at Orion, I say, ah, look, there's a heart center, and it's pumping out the energies of cosmic blood. There, the three stars of the belt of Orion is a splenic center, and so forth. To me, one of my manuscripts is mapping out all of this, these, the stars and the heavens um, in terms of the chakras that they embody. So, as you begin to awaken more your spiritual self, you get away from this form, this physical form is an automaton, it's not real. It automatically responds to whatever emotions you put into it. If you are very emotional and you're full of worries and anxieties, you've got to make yourself sick. That's the inevitable result. Because the energies that you're generating goes into the form. It goes through the chakras and each chakra is responsible for part of the body. 
And there's a chakra, you know, two little chakras to do with the lungs. There's a chakra, the heart center to do with the heart itself and the thymus gland and so forth. So the, the bodies, the organs of the body are, are purely automatons depending on the energies that are coming through from the chakras. And so the whole process of evolution really when you understand it properly, is the way that the chakras themselves unfold in time and space. So when you're looking at chakras of the human body and you begin to see that the chakras are your aspects of your consciousness and the way that the attributes of consciousness are controlling the energy fields within your body. So the energy fields then precipitate out through the form and either produce good health or sicknesses and disease, insanities, and all the rest of it that uh, people are susceptible to. It's important not to worry. That's a hard thing, I know. As you begin to learn more, you'll find, you know, even uh, this human life, as precious as it is, it's very short. All of us have, you know, we, we've grown up from being teenagers in the early adult stage. We're now at a stage where we're looking, well, as only a, we can count the number of years virtually in our fingers, or, you know, we say, well, I'm going to leave my body not that far from, you know, most of the life's gone, it's just a little bit left because you've you brought up your children and, and so forth. And you're beginning to think, ah, my next life. It's not that far away. You know, death itself is immaterial. It's how you live your life that is important. And this is what the evolution of consciousness is. So it's the chakras. Now, when you begin to understand chakras, and you begin to think of chakras as consciousness stores, and you begin to relate it to divas, and then you understand that this entire planet is full of chakras. Right now, for instance, I'm working out the chakras of the nations of our of the, the countries of this earth. They're all different chakras associated with human consciousness. But there are sacred places on this planet that are chakras, that are where the ancients build their temples. Ancient Egypt, for instance, the Great Pyramid, that's energy centers, that's the heart center of this planet. Uh, so the pyramids were built there and they are aligned to the constellation of, of Orion and Orion's belt, which um, one, one book by Robert Temple sort of has mentioned. Um, so you understand it's the chakras where the ancients built their sacred spots, where the Stonehenge, for instance, and the dolmens in, Paris, in France, and those are the chakras. Those are the sacred places on this earth. There's ley lines, lines of energy going from sacred place to sacred place and they crisscross the planet and all over the planet. In, in China they call them dragon lines and the whole law of the dragons, which is, you know, all of you have seen the, the, you know, the Chinese art and things, it's, it's everything got to do with dragons and likewise with the Tibetan philosophy and so forth. And these are just the nadis of the planets. <laughs> They personified later on, you'll see dragons in, in the sky as well. So mythological law is based on this understanding. And later on, when the Christians conquered Greek and Roman religion, they built their churches over the old pagan temples on the sacred spots. And so you get the, the very big churches were built where 
originally there was an ancient temple. But some of the sacred places, the chakras also on, on this planet, you, you go to quiet places. Um, even in Brussels there are certain places where you can go to where there's energy. You can go there and you can relax because energy is coming into you because it's a, it's a sacred place, it's a chakra and it's overshadowed by a diva as we talked about before, of, of the, the healing. So you understand that the body itself, it's not a principle. It's not possessed by a human being in any real sense of the term. What's possessed by you as human beings is your energy body. And everything that comes through the energy body automatically affects the physical body. It's quite an important thing to, to understand more and more the fact that the energies that you put into your body controls the way your body responds. It's not the body telling your energy field, it's the opposite way. So it will get sick because of the way your emotions are and so forth. So you can see therefore that the path of evolution demands that you begin to work out what it is that produces perfect health. And what it is that produces perfect health is the beginning of the control of the energy fields working through your body. Your consciousness is what controls that. And therefore you must begin to control your consciousness. And to control that, you must control your emotions. Once you control your emotions, then you can develop your mind. If your emotions rule, then all you're going to do is make you sick. It's not a pleasant way. Well, this is, this is the path, is learning how to control the emotions. As you learn to control the emotions, and as you develop your mind, and the mind then controls the emotions, and you become more peacefully internally, this is what awakens this path of initiation into the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And so the how is the path of initiation, and the path of initiation is what most people know nothing about. And the path of initiation is the beginning of it is to control your emotions, to develop some wisdom, some understanding of what causes all of these things that make you sick, and then resolving to do something about it. In other words, taking control of your life, and not being so much concerned about these outer events. They are important because they are testing you to control, develop more wisdom, to not be attached to things. So this whole path of the evolution of consciousness, therefore, is this development of higher receptivities to subjective energies. And as I mentioned before, it's based on group law. Therefore, the energy of love. And the energy of love is not competitive. It's not separative. It doesn't produce an empire of selfishness. It is sharing and giving and cooperativeness and working together for the common good. 
And therefore, the first thing that anyone on this path to light must do is this, is to help your brothers and sisters. First of all, I mean, your family is one thing. Most people, even the selfish people, work at helping their family. But that's not so important. What's more important as you develop on the path to light is to recognise your brothers and sisters, those that you've been travelling with for aeons, for life after life after life. Your brothers and sisters or your children may only be very, very incidental in your life. It may be only this life. They may be an enemy in your past life, somebody that you fought against in a war. Now they've come as your child because you have to learn to help them or get on with them somehow. Or they may even become your husband or your wife. Um, they may be an enemy in a form of life, some love relationships. They, they, they're quarrelling, squabbling all the time. They don't get on very well because of this. It's not your true companions. Your true companions are those whom you've been travelling with from life to life and whom you meet and you recognise them as brothers and sisters that are unfolding the path of love. It's love is the keynote, right? And you recognise them. Sometimes, of course, you marry them. <laughs> Sometimes they come as your children, but it's not always. And you actually have to recognise what it is that is somebody that can travel with you to become stars in heaven and those that are just incidental, that you um, have certain types of karma that you have to fix up or work out in some way and that may not travel with you again. I don't know your personal lives, but you know, all of you probably have brothers and sisters and some of you keep close contact with them. For some of you, it's relatively unimportant what they're doing. They can do whatever they want because you are doing something else and it's all these things. But ultimately, it's those, if you're on the spiritual path, that you can work with to help each other so that you can all help the all out there because this whole world is messed up. They've been taught from very early age the wrong things. They've been taught everything that produces sickness and death and disease, disharmony in society and in their lives. And what they have to do instead is produce good health for their society, for their family, to work harmoniously. And, as you all know, a family that's working together harmoniously is a loving family. They'll do everything to help the others, their brothers and sisters and, and parents that, to survive and get on in life. But there's some families that are competing, competing against each other that um, you know won't speak of each other and so forth and you get all of this problem. And the same with our society. So the beginning part, as you can see, is this understanding of what you're here for and where you're going to. What you're here for is learning how to love. And I can quote Jesus and all the great saints because they all say the same thing. There's not one of them that doesn't say this, yes? Um, because this is the fundamental truth of, of life. It's the fundamental truth of that life that keeps the whole universe together and evolving together. Right? This law of love, and law of group evolution, 
It's not individual evolution. Individual evolution produces sickness and death, pain and suffering. Group evolution produces happiness, joy and higher consciousness experience. And as you learn to meditate, as you learn to control the forces of life, it brings you to the higher planes. But to get to the higher planes, um, that are higher dimensions of perception, you have to be able to handle stronger and stronger energies come in. See, if you cannot handle those strong energies coming in, then what they will do is intensify your emotions, your emotion, your worries, your fears, your anxieties, your hatreds and all the rest of it and turn you into a real wreck. And so the, the whole path is to cleanse yourself of these worries and fears and anxieties so that you begin to become calmer and calmer, more meditative, more loving and then disallows the energies from your soul to come into your consciousness and you can start to Think as the soul thinks, as an enlightened being. And then that allows the soul itself to evolve and to receive greater energies from the monadic source. And it will eventually die because it no longer needs to exist. And there's just a link between you and the monad. And that's what makes a fully enlightened being. The monad is then ready to go off into cosmic space. No longer does it need to be on this earth. And no longer do you need to incarnate into pain and suffering and death. What the Buddhists call samsara. It's just simply everything around you is always changing. Always, always changing. You cannot hang on to it. As soon as we leave this room, whatever I said in this room is just a memory. It'll be on tape. But it's just a memory, is it not? And everything that happens to you. You can go back 20 years, 30 years, and you know the different world that we lived in 30 years ago. It's far different than now. Life is better for everyone on this earth. Because we don't have this terrible governments we got now, forcing selfishness and more selfishness upon us because of what I call banker occupation. But you can't hang on to it. It's changing every minute of the time. So don't try. Uh, adapt to it and learn the way that you're actually going and you're going to become more loving, more conscious of everything around you. And you can only do this through love, not through selfishness. When you do things through selfishness, everything is in relationship to yourself and you develop the intellect, the mind of self, 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 self. When, and that is the whole universe enclosed around your mind. When you develop love, it's to let go of everything, to expand in consciousness, to become more and more inclusive of everything that you're trying to give to, you must learn about. And as you learn about, your mind becomes larger and larger and vaster and vaster. And that which is divinity, the divine God, if you want to use that term, can incarnate into you. Because it incarnates into you because you're expanding outwards to become more inclusive of the all. And as you do that, and as it incarnates in you, you're lifting up to become divinity, become enlightened. And that is the path of evolution. Every cell in your body 
that you have. Every organ in your body, it's yours because you've evolved it. You've evolved it as the animal forms were evolving on this earth. It incarnates as your karma. You have to master it all. You actually have to control it all. And you do that by incarnating into it, into every state of consciousness. By this I mean the, the consciousness of, of the group of organs that, for instance, manifests as your lung, left lung, right lung. One stage, and when you're a primitive human unit, you're developing a lung type of consciousness. Later on you develop, for instance, the, the consciousness of an ear or a nose as a primitive human unit. You develop these states of awareness until eventually you master the physical body. You don't remember any of this, because we're talking about millions of years ago. But this was all developed, and now you can use these things, these hands and nose and things, easily. But think of a dog. Now, do any of you have the smell of a dog? I mean, a dog can, can smell... Uh, 600 times more um, smells than most of us can. You know, it, it lives by means of its nose. Uh, and um, we don't do that. We don't go and sniff somebody to find out about that person. We live more of our eyes. But the dog is developing that type of sentience. And this is all part of this process of evolution. And later on, you'll see that as you develop superconsciousness, it's the same five senses that you're developing, that you now know of, that will become what we call in our philosophy the transmuted, the wisdoms of the Buddhas of meditation. They're the transmuted consciousness, sense consciousnesses that we have now. So you know of, for instance, the sense of sight and the astral form of that type of consciousness we call clairvoyance. Right? And we're talking about seeing the aura as part of this clairvoyance. But the clairvoyance is also to see the diva kingdom, see the entities on the inner realms. But there's a, a higher form of that clairvoyance to do with the domain of the mind. And there's another higher form of that clairvoyance that relates to the soul's own vision, the way it sees. And then there's a higher form to do with the monad and its perception of cosmos. Because when it looks out into the cosmos, it doesn't see what we see. It sees the multi-dimensional, many-layered um, sheaves of beings. It sees great beings. So we look at, a, say, a planet such as Mars, and we see a red planet that's pretty dry. It looks at the planet Mars, and it sees the many planes of perception around it, and all the life forms are revolving in it and the entity that's incarnating through it and pushing its evolution onwards and how they interrelate. This is a high, very vast form of clairvoyance. And it's all got to do with the higher development of, say, the sense of sight, and it can be the sense of smell. And so these five sense perceptions, or what Buddhists call sense consciousnesses, are developed as you develop the higher meditation states. And this is part of the evolution of consciousness of this whole teaching. So it's um, quite, as you can see, a vast subject. And I've given you a very, very a brief outline and you can see the importance of it. 
So you'll learn more and more about this particular subject as you become enlightened and that is the path ahead of you.